how's it going, guys? Welcome back to the WYL Take Ownership Podcast, where we're all about taking ownership of your mental, your economics, and your community. I'm joined today by Tiffany. Say what's up. Hey, how you doing? <laughs> and Chris as well. Hey, I'm here, man. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Absolutely, man. Appreciate y'all joining us. So um, as, as we always do, we're going to kick it off, hit you guys with a couple of things that are happening right now in the world. And then these are, these are some storytellers, some prolific, amazing storytellers through their art, through their written word. So we're going to get into that conversation about what it looked like in 2020 and going forward as well. Does that sound good to y'all? I'm ready. Hey, let's do it. Let's do it. Good? <laughs> so my first thing is, and we were talking about this offline, so I feel like we had to start here. Tyler Perry, all right? I was watching The View. This is about probably a few days ago. I'm not a, I'm not a View watcher normally, just being real, but... It's on my room playing, and I see he was on, and I think he spoke a lot about hard work. He spoke a lot about his new um, his new studio out in Atlanta. Amazing, amazing work. Really, just pushing things forward for Black people, but for artists in general, right? So, what's been really interesting about watching this all is he posted up on Twitter about two weeks ago uh, this this video of all the different movies he's written for this year. I think it was like ten of them, and I'll be real. From my first look at it. It felt very, very much like, like hard work. Like hard work, he's exemplifying and showing us what hard work looks like. As time played on, the backlash was was quick, right? Where it was about, okay, well, the problem with his shows, the problem with his movies is that he writes all of them. There's really no writer's room. It's Tyler's Way or the Highway. So I want to learn from you guys. What are your thoughts on Tyler Perry? And, and, and yeah, just start there. What are your thoughts on Tyler Perry? <laughs> um... Growing up, I came, well, a little background. My family is Southern Black, right? So on both sides, they're from Mississippi. So I feel like his style of comedy growing up really resonated with, you know, the church and everything that my family kind of like their values that they uphold. So during the holidays, when all the Medea, you know, plays and things came out on VHS, those were some of the things that they would pop in and watch. I particularly never like was really drawn to them or like had any interest in like watching them. However, I can appreciate the fact that, like, he has built this empire Mm -hmm. on this very, very, like, specific character. And I think that just speaks to how you said, like, hardworking he is at developing this one thing to create basically this, like, I don't know if it's global, but, like, national Mm -hmm. character and, you know, the the weight that it brings. Um, But, you know, it never really resonated with me. Sure. Yeah, I mean, what are your thoughts on it, Chris? I'm, I'm kind of split down the middle, right? Because, like, to do everything he's done, amazing. Round of applause. We should be applauding him. Mm-hmm. But at the same token, it's like if Drake never let anyone else into his process, mm-hmm. how great can Drake be? Um, I think we often see this in music and other things. It's like, mm-hmm. I got to write all my bars. And it's like, eventually, it's probably going to stop working because, like, you can't evolve by just doing it all yourself. So I personally believe that um, it's got him to a level where he is now, but his audience is having kids or they're a little older and this new generation, like Tyler Perry's not that guy for them. Right, right. So it's kind of like, how can you tell those stories without giving an authentic voice from those people? Yeah. The the, the tough part about Tyler with me is that I feel like when, when, when you're black and you're exceptional at what you do, Everyone just expects everything from you, right? And I think, you know, when for white people, they can have an entire lane be their lane. I do horror movies, that's it. Um, I'm crazy as hell, I'm Quentin Tarantino, and that's it, right? Like, they're allowed to be it. As a black person, though, it, it seems like 
you know, you're supposed to be for all black people all the time. The right. You right. have to carry the culture. So for me, I, you know, I think about a Tyler Perry. I, the reason why I, I can acknowledge some controversial things he, he does and places in his movies that I can, I can see. Um, at the same time, though, I also understand, like, why can't that just be his lane and there be other black people? But, all right, yeah, let me No, hear here's it. why. Okay, let me hear Those it. people you named, their movies are usually good. <laughs> um, I mean, let's be honest. Like, right. once again, I'm not going to knock the talent where he's built. How many people have watched House of Pain? And granted, it was on, no, it was syndicated for a yeah, long yeah. time. But, like, The Cosby Show, House of Pain, oh, Fresh 100%. Prince. House of Pain, like, it don't line up as a classic black show. But no, I think right. it's a different yeah. type of entertainment because I had aunties that watch the House of Pain, like, and try mm-hmm. to get me to actively watch it. Like, oh, do you watch the House of Pain? I'm like, no, I don't watch the House of Pain. Like, I'm not going to do that. Right. But you can, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, so I grew up in Maryland. And in Maryland, like, I'm not speaking for all black people in Maryland. But I do know Medea movies we go and see, and I thought they were hilarious to be honest. Like, at growing up, you know, I aged out of it to your point, where it was a point where I was like, this isn't this isn't funny anymore to me, or I'm not like paying my money to go see it. Right. But I, I don't know. I think the 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 it's such a visceral reaction when you bring up Tyler Perry's name, and I guess there's layers to it. But I just find that I think he's speaking to a certain audience, yeah. and I don't think it's up to us to say it whether how we feel about that audience. That's, we're really, that's really what we're saying if we're really thinking about it. Like, we're not talking about his product because, to your point, you'll have aunties like, yo, watch House of Pain. I watch, you know when, like, your show finishes and the music starts for the next one? I'll be like, come turn that, man. <laughs> I do that every time with House of Pain. Like, I gave it a few five-minute runs and it just... It's, it's like Mari. Like, yeah. some people just love it. And right. that's the reason it's on. It's trash, but it's like a certain kind of trash. You know what I'm saying? Trash isn't like bad or trash isn't like junk food that you can't stop eating. Mm. Both. Okay. Interesting. But to the earlier point, Tyler Perry, like what do you do when you're creating the same type of comedy and and your audience has aged out of that and you are finding difficulty connecting with the current up and coming potential audience, right? Get a deal with BET on BET Digital. That's what you do. Pray for the best. <laughs> but I, I think I think honestly he's he looks at what other people have done. So like the oval, like Grey's Anatomy, I know people that are twenty four that's like, Oh my god, Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> like you weren't even born when that when that joke started. <laughs> and so like it's just an evergreen show. So I think he's moving into those kind of spaces. Mm-hmm. And I, I once again I praise what he's done because he's created a niche that allowed him to actually create whatever he wants. So like now he's creating shows that could compete with um I don't know any show on ABC or NBC, mm-hmm. um, so I'm I'm still the jury's still out for him in terms of like quality content. So, question: the video he posted on Twitter for for you first, Tiff, was it more? Did you gather from that video more? This dude's creative. This dude's hardworking. Or did you gather more from it that he's selfish and closes the writers' room to other people? What was what what? So that was the scale. I have to start by saying I did not see the Twitter video, okay. but based on your explanation of it i'd say that he's hardworking and he wants to show people that he has like content and stuff that he's working on i also think that at this point in his career he has a following and he has critics and he has people that he has to answer to or at least you know uh preemptively kind of like 
think about what they're going to say and have mm-hmm. a response to them. And that's a lot of responsibility, right? Yeah. As a creative, as an artist. Mm-hmm. Because in truth, I feel like creatives just at the end of the day want to create whether they like bring on other people or continue to do what's been working for them. Right, right. Your thoughts? Um, I think it's dope. I, mm-hmm. As a writer who writes like yeah. books, series, I do the same thing. So yeah. I ain't going to hate. Um, and I also... I equate it to like what Kevin Hart or Dwayne The Rock Johnson do like all these number one hits you cannot say Dwayne Johnson's movies are different from he plays the same exact role but that's what we love him for so at the end of the day whether I like it or you like it or you love it and your aunties like He's servicing someone out there. Yeah, which is dope, so. and his his story is pretty remarkable, right? Like yeah. it, it, he talks about how like the sign, the highway signs in Atlanta now have Tyler Perry Studios on one side, and right next to it is the same road he was homeless on. Like, mm-hmm. and it's just like it's such a powerful story. So I think you know my point of view on it. And I'll be real, like when I first saw it, I was like, damn, this brother be working. Because, you know, the last image a lot of us have of him in recent history was the unveiling of the studio, right? And so you're seeing him, like, you know, Oprah's there and all these amazing people, these named studios after like Will Smith, Whoopi Goldberg, like, you're like, wow, like that's black excellence. And then, you know, three months later, he's posting on Twitter that he wrote 10 10 movies last year. To me, that's like mind blowing from a work perspective. But I, I could understand and hear that people, I, I like more of the cynical jokes when people were like, you know, when people were talking about, well, like, you know, like, this is the problem with your art. It's just like, it's because it's, it's all you, right? But I wasn't here when people really started digging deep into it. Because I'm like, damn, like, I get it. I get that. I think he can open more doors. And I'm glad people bring resonance to it. But at the same time, it's like, can we, we can we acknowledge both? Can we acknowledge that it's like, yo, like... You, you, mind you, the studio's been in use for some years now, but it wasn't all fully complete right. till finally they, they launched it. But it's like, can we give love and show real love for hard work and what and what it takes to, like you said, as, as a writer, to sit down and write 10 movies? Like, that's crazy. So let me ask you right. this. I, I think yeah. this may be the differentiator. Okay. The scripts might have been amazing. Mm-hmm. Production is usually when people say the movie was bad. Mm-hmm. So, like, you can have an amazing script, Superman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How do you mess that up? The production was just trash. Mm-hmm. So, so it's your question to me. My you question think? is: mm-hmm. Do you think he may write good scripts, but production-wise, like they may fall from grace in five days? And that was like the big thing. Like we shot it in five days. It was tough, but we mm-hmm. did it. And the wigs and all that. Like that's all production. Well, mm-hmm. I'll say one thing because I have an art studio in the Brooklyn Navy Yard, and mm-hmm. I hosted my first. Um, writers workshop I didn't host it but I have people come in and they like talk to writers about like writing scripts and stuff and I actually learned a lot from it and the way in which you write your script I learned is could dictate production Mm. or you could write it in such a way where it doesn't have like this jaws of life clamp on the way things are shot or produced so Mm. I've never seen like any of his scripts before but I wonder if it's like written in such a Tyler way where you can see his voice sprinkled throughout right, it, sure, where yeah. there's like little to no creativity on the production end of it. Because honestly, making film and making movies is probably one of the hardest pe- like types of art to do, right? Because mm-hmm. there are so many variables, there are so many like co-creators that you have to work with. Um, and everybody wants to be a part of that and like introduce their own creativity to it. But when you have one voice raining down that kind mm. of like chokes out the other creativity, it's very hard to have like a truly organic piece of art. Right, right. And I, and I, I think I could just like put a pin on it from my pr- perspective. It's like 
I think the thing about it is he talks a lot about, um, I'm blanking on the idea exactly how he brought it up, but you just you just mentioned with Tyler Perry, give, give that last sentence again so I can catch myself. Uh, about like mm-hmm. co-creating and how it's like kind of like really hard to have a truly organic piece of art. Right, right. So it, I think in regards to that, it's like, you're right. In the, in the room, if it's just you, you can control how all the narratives play out. Um, to your point about production, I, I still would put that on him then, right? In terms of like, if consistently production is, is messing up, then that, that still lands on his doorstep. You know what I'm saying? But why so, is it because it's being choked at the beginning of the process? Right, the or, creative process, yeah. Does he write, produce, and direct? And start? Because that's, 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 that's a lot. <laughs> But we're seeing it play out. We're seeing it play out. Um, so, all right, cool. So I'm going I'm to I'm segue a little bit because I'm, I'm, I want to keep in the, the idea of narratives, right? So uh, one interesting thing that we're seeing right now is in this whole presidential campaign, people people are running. Michael Bloomberg is running from New York City, right? He's former mayor, CEO, Bloomberg, all that stuff for former. I don't know if he's, is he still CEO of Bloomberg? Is he still like running day to day? I don't even know. He's a billionaire. So at, and so. Right. Yeah, so he's slid in, slid into the the, the race late. Um, if you grew up in New York City, or if you're just culturally aware as a black person, you heard a lot about stop and frisk, right? And um, you know, I think about a, maybe a couple months ago, he went into a black church and pretty much was like, I apologize, like it was wrong, right? Um, the narrative at the time was this will reduce crime in the city. New York City was all trending down in terms of crime. This is now the largest city that has like the the biggest city that has like a low amount of crime, right? It's it's done it. It's figured the flow out, if you will, according to it. Um, it being the government of New York City, the narrative now is changing though, right? It's like it was. It, and I, I kind of like even Tyler is like one. People, some people can see it as hard work. Some people can see it as like you're stifling creativity. With this, is some people could see it as you're reducing crime. Stop that guy on the street. <laughs> some people could see it as you're harassing me. You're, you're you know, removing my dignity from life. So the, the narrative, of course, to the point where he's in the black church, he's running for president. Like, let's mm-hmm. call it what it is, yeah. right? By design. Yeah. What it, I mean, there's many ways you can go with this. But first, just what were your initial takes when you heard that Bloomberg was thinking about running? And did you even have an initial take? And I'll start, I'll start with Chris, actually, this time. Honestly, when I... First off, he got drowned out in the 30 other people. I think the headline that caught a lot of our attention was how much money he put into each market to run ads. Because sure. he's not even on the stage. Yeah. And he's running a Super Bowl ad on Sunday. Uh, for me, it's a it's a joke. I think he's going to write a book about it. Um, and I think... I think he's trolling us. Yeah. He, if you can't even show up to the Democratic <laughs> debates, like, we don't know your points. Like, I'm not going to your website <laughs> to read your three-point thesis on college debt reduction. So, like, I think it's just a dude that has way too much time, way too much money, and was like, oh, if Donald can do it, I can do it. So is he trolling or he really believes this and it's just not going to work? I think he really believes and nobody on his team was just like... He got Mayor Nutter out here retweeting stuff talking about this is the way. I'm like... Mayor Nutter? (laughs) Mayor Nutter? (laughs) If he got John Street, then I believe it. He, he posted this gift. I'm sorry. He posted this gift on Twitter, and he like he ends the the like this little spiel he does in some city, and he drops the mic and walks off. He's like, "That's how he ended with Mike Bloomberg." I'm like, Mayor Nutter. I don't I don't take it seriously. Uh, you think Mayor Nutter does? <laughs> I, I can't speak on him. Uh, I can't speak on him. Uh, he probably get in a nice cabinet position. Or he has a nice job. I don't know. He might be an influencer. I have no clue. <laughs> but I don't take it seriously. Um, I think the narrative is like businessmen should rule the country because like 
they technically have created the capitalistic society that we live in. Um, that's why Andrew Yang is here. That's why Bloomberg's here. Mm-hmm. That's why Donald Trump is here. And people are finally like, yeah, bump politicians. Let's go with people that have no political experience because mm-hmm. we need something different. Yeah. I don't think he's going to win. I honestly don't think any of them can beat Trump, unfortunately. Um, so. Do you think it deeply matters to him whether he wins or not? No. Because he would have tried to do the actual thing that gets you on the stage to talk and debate. Right, it's like he's creating his own rule and yeah, his own lane. It's just like, all right, that's cool. Part two, but just you know. And I also parts. think a lot of people like saw what Obama did and was like, social media. Like, if we can get to the people, I don't need the actual system to work because Obama did something different that no one else. Has well, done. well, to your point, I thought I thought Mayor Nutter when I saw the tweet, I thought he was trolling. Like, I thought he was joking about that. So I went on his timeline and I was like, oh, he posting about this dude a lot. Like, right. he really does work with him. So I mean, what I mean, what were your thoughts when you saw that? You know what? Nothing surprises me. So, like, obviously working in the media and being in the media, I think I have this level of cynicism Mm -hmm. that is pretty much more elevated than the common person and a little bit to my detriment, right? So it's kind of like, however it shakes out, I'm still going to roll my eyes, right? But, like, this to me just sounds like, again, someone with money just throwing their wealth and throwing their, like, clout around because Mm -hmm. they can and they don't really it's a slap in the face that he visited a church just because he's campaigning mm-hmm. to me that's what it looks like because would he have done that had he not been no. the, the question i want to ask him though is just like and and this is probably because what other position could you be in to create such change like mm-hmm. you have billions of dollars if you really want to make a change like you don't need to become president to do so right right I don't really know what he's doing. I, I think, you know, I can't call if he's like completely trolling the country or not. But I, I think that a lot of people that have had money now for a while have egos. Like massive, massive. Like it gets to a point where conversations aren't even normal because everything is about emotion. Like it, And it's like if you if you cross me the wrong way, you're ex, period. Right? I'm not going to do business with you. I don't want to see your family. F your mom. Like it's just, it's just like they get they take everything so viscerally and emotionally. And I feel like, I think a lot of like real quote unquote businessmen in New York, especially looked at Trump and were enraged, not because he was an asshole or a jackass. I think they were enraged because it was like, wait, I could have did that. I could have been president. What, what was I? Cause I never thought about that. I never. And so I think with Bloomberg, just like with Tom Steyer and all these guys who, who can angle it as I really care. And it's time to change things. You know, I made this comment. It's going to be super like, it's controversial because it's, it's, but I was I was talking to my homie like we were catching up and we were talking about like like money. We just watched like this wasn't now this it was like a I don't want to give the wrong outlet credit. It's the one that was explained. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That joke was good about capitalism and about like billionaire. Billionaire. I watched that three times. I love the infographic. Yeah, I watched it twice. Shout out to the artist. And I was like afterward. I was say it might have been, but I was gonna say I was like I watched it afterward and we were standing right in this room. We're just conversating back and forth about it. And I was like, you know what I'm starting to realize, yo? Politics off of poor people. Because, like, rich people don't actually care. It's it does not affect their life at all. It's marketing you got, to the common classes. Absolutely. You have Warren Buffett on TV talking about, tax me more, please. And they won't. <laughs> it's like they refuse. I thought he was powerful. I thought we looked at capitalists as driving society. But we don't actually care because it, it's not really about that, right? It's about what can the common man, woman tie their mind around. Mm-hmm. And, and so with Trump, you have, you know, I think it was Merriam-Webster had 
had done like one of those like AI tests and they were like, he's speaking at a fourth grade level. And they looked at Hillary Clinton, she was speaking at like a 13th grade level. And they were like, actually, it's bad for Hillary Clinton because most people don't get to college. That was the whole point, the 13th grade, right? Whereas most people can understand a fourth grader. And so when I see Tom Steyer and, and, and Bloomberg talk about things that, you know, we care about today, it's not because they care about it. They, it just, they, they haven't had to care about it. Nah. If you go back even to Obama, like, when he first was running, um, gay rights, like, it's against it. Like, it's not a thing. Mm time he's president gay rights so it's just like at the end of the day it's all lip service because it's like what's going to get me into office what's and then what's going to keep me here and everyone has a job so it's like working for a company mm -hmm. if i'm employed and i need to hit my quotas to keep my job i'm gonna do that because yeah. i'm care about i'm worried about my five years my five-year perception mm. i'm not worried about the company's 10 years 20 years like yeah. i don't think these people are truly worried about where you, the u.s will be in 20 years because some of the stuff, I'm just like, what are we doing? <laughs> I look at it like an open call, right? So it's like, this is what won the grant last year or the talent show last year. Mm -hmm. And people are looking at that and they're like, get me up there. I could do a way right, better right, job. Right. And like, not even really caring about like the, the goals of the organization or the grant or like the presidency, we'll mm -hmm. say in this scenario. Um, yeah, and a lot of people who are very wealthy and have like a platform i feel like they just feel like it's open season for them mm -hmm. like everybody oh kanye 2020 this person whatever whatever so it's i don't know you know mm -hmm. who i blame i blame two people richard nixon and arnold schwarzenegger unpack it a little bit richard nixon was <laughs> so richard nixon was an actor who was like i can run for president and we're like yeah let's do that and then arnold the reagan yeah, and then Arnold Schwarzenegger <laughs> running becoming the governor of the biggest state. Yeah, at least he stayed in his lane, right? At least in Hollywood. You remember that was like the test kitchen. Like, let me go to Hollywood see what happens. The second time it was him, Gary Coleman. Gary Coleman ran. That's the problem. Yeah. And I think people was just like isn't that oh my Tyler, God. But no, isn't that Tyler Perry? <laughs> my guy. Like, I think he looked at his audience as what they wanted and just keep serving them. It. Like, Pretty much. Give them more. Like, it's like, it's not even who's the best. It's like, mm -hmm. who do I like? Yeah, it's a popularity contest. It turns into I'm a bit. You're yeah. telling me. He won? But do, do you remember the way they spun his stories? Like, oh, it's this immigrant, grassroots, like, American <laughs> dream, came I mean, from bodybuilder. Like, a lot of people, that spoke to their heart right. and their hopes. Like, oh, if he can do it, then, like, I can achieve anything. But it's like, no, you can't, because look at the history of our country. <laughs> no, you can't. Honestly, For the kids at home, I understand. <laughs> There's going to be things you want in this life. You're going to think you can achieve them. But no, you can't. No, I know, I know what you're saying. Like that's real, though, right? Like that's real. So, all right. So the idea of storytelling. This is what we're seeing. Narratives being flipped. We're yeah. seeing like we're the. Yeah, I love that Arnold Schwarzenegger one because like we knew him as the actor, and then they had to tell a narrative to get the terrible, common man. Terrible actor. Right? Fair enough. <laughs> to get the common person to be like we're, we're we're sold. We're buying into this, right? So as storytellers, things are. I think things shift in terms of how we tell stories, right? Like, and I'm gonna put y'all, I'm just gonna expose y'all, put y'all on, right? Like, 
Chris, you write books, you write children's books, you I mean, you do a lot of visual, a visual, visual and video production. You're constantly telling stories through different means, right? Tiffany, you work with CNN, you're your own artist, you have your own studio. So whether it's through your painted artistry or whether it's through CNN and graphics there, you're telling a story or you're helping tell a story, right? So from that vantage point, how do you guys see storytelling changing, if anything, or even in the time since you guys have started in this space? So you as an artist, what have been some of the changes you've seen and how people are getting narratives across? Oh, that's easy. Instagram. Mm. And then today I learned about TikTok. So maybe hey. that's how we get. <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's the new way. That's how we get stories across these days. But yeah, the the kind of like you can just have an idea and just like put it out there or even tease it. I feel like sometimes the the meat is in the teasing before it even is in the the final execution of it. And I just think that's like super organic. People want to be on they want to be early adapters. They want to be on the forefront. So, if they know about this cool thing that's bubbling up before anybody else, they'll repost it, retweet it, support it. And then when it, once it becomes mainstream, it's like something that they already have digested, right? Mm-hmm. So, I feel like Anything that's the new, new, that's like on the cutting edge that uh, people can like access, you know, for free, for 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 really cheap or, you know, I think that is kind of like the wave in terms of platforms these days. What are your thoughts, man? I'm going to go even even more simpler and just look at human beings as, mm-hmm. as in general. I think the way storytelling hasn't changed, okay. whether it's oral, video, audio i think the button has changed and what you have to do to get people to press it so mm-hmm. like for example the story of arnold schwarzenegger how they took hard-working immigrant it's the hero's yeah, journey sure. obama the same thing from hawaii didn't have a dad mm-hmm. black got <laughs> black <laughs> got the button changed yeah. on the platform they were using and then Donald Trump, like the every man, like built his way up outside of the mm. the he has norm- gold normality toilets, of but things. He, but he seems like the every man. Yeah. yeah. So it's like the button that we use to tell the story, or the platform we use to tell the story, has changed. But the way we tell stories hasn't changed. Gotcha. And I think if you can understand like human psychology, um, you can be a great storyteller. It's manipulating people yeah. to take a side. No, I, I feel that. I feel that. As, as storytellers of color, right, as black storytellers, we're starting to see a lot of things change, right? Um, you know, I think, was it Kendrick Lamar got a Pulitzer Prize? But I want to get these names right because I got to show love to their work. So you have Jason Reynolds, who was just selected by the Library of Congress to be the National Ambassador for Young People, Young People's Literature. You have Ashley James, who is Guggenheim's first full-time black curator, right? you're starting to see us enter these spaces that have historically been white. And it may it may speak to the fact that culturally, hip-hop, and we had talked about this on a previous episode, hip-hop and the effects it's had on culture has been I mean, worldwide, right? Like, you have in Russia, and again, I think maybe explained, or one of those shows I watched on this, but you have Russia who's trying to, right, at this point in time, trying to suppress rap music because it's, it's contrarian to their thoughts, their beliefs. And so, like, as black people that are in these positions to tell stories and it could be our stories it could be made up stories fictional stories right do you guys feel like there's a responsibility on your shoulders every time you step up to the plate to do that no i feel like there's a responsibility to remain authentic and tell your story and stay true to your voice and and if you don't know that to really dig deep and figure out what it is that makes you tick and what it is you really want to talk about i think 
the best stories come from people who have the agency to tell those stories, right? Like we can, we know when, you know, we taste and fake, fake meat, basically. Mm. We know when, you know, this is a story about a black woman, but written from the perspective of a white man, right? It just doesn't mm. feel right. It just doesn't resonate with us. So I think that's the responsibility is mm. to tell your true authentic story. Yeah, how about you? Uh, I'm gonna piggyback on that. I think, um, no, uh, it's not like our responsibility, but I think you get to that position because you have told those different stories. And the, I forgot his name, the gentleman you mentioned. Yeah, Jason Reynolds. Yeah, mm-hmm. so he, when his introduction speech uh, that they showed on Twitter, actually, mm-hmm. he was like, yo, like, I'm thankful to be here, but I want to go after the kids in like the rural areas. I'm going to go after the kids that like don't have access that even inner city kids have. Yeah. And I was like, yo, that's dope. Because, like, so often we always think of, like, poverty as, like, just inner mm-hmm. city kids. And it's like, yo, there's poor white people. There's more of them than yeah. anybody else. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so it's just, like, the fact that, like, mm-hmm. yo, maybe that's where he came from. Like, Arkansas, Mississippi, mm-hmm. like, Florida. And, like, that's his story. Like, it's not just, like, I'm black and I'm in an inner city. It's just, like, I'm black in a rural area. Yeah. And that's, like, probably even worse. <laughs> it um, is. <laughs> so it's, like, I think it's really dope when you can tell stories because we're not a monolithic group, so, like, we all have different experiences. Absolutely. And then just trying to, like, bring that to the world. And also, I think, mm-hmm. the rest of the world realized, like, oh, my gosh, black people are adorable people. Yeah. Right, Same right. stories as us. So I think it's them finally waking up and realizing our stories are good. Mm-hmm. They can make money off of them. And uh, we can resonate with yeah. other people that... It helps when we're the gatekeepers, though. It really, mm-hmm. really does. So seeing, like more black people and people of color and from different like identities and walks of life holding these positions tells me that at least we're moving the needle in the right direction right got you so but behind the scenes we, I, I'll, grab, I'll grab your question in a second you're gonna ask a question? yeah i was yeah, i was yeah, gonna yeah. say one thing i do want to note though because yeah, yeah. I, I think we often lose sight of this like when we say black most people only think in america like mm-hmm. african-americans right but, like i would definitely love to see more of the black diaspora like mm-hmm. dominicans um like Haitians. Yeah. We always think like, oh, African Americans, like they're the only black people out here. Right. It's just like that it would be really dope to see people like that getting power. So so uh, and so I was gonna ask one question, but that made me think of something else, right? Like back to that idea of capitalism. It, you know, when it comes to getting funding for a film or for a big project, at this point in time, what we do is we tend to watch what's worked, right? So when you think about even Black Panther. Like give all the love to Ryan Coogler and the, and his whole team to making that happen. Shout out to my birthday twin. Hey, so with that being in the case though, what they could look at was I can look at superhero movies and how they did, how they trajected when it came to sales, and the timing is right. There's been all this unrest when it comes to police brutality and stuff. Maybe it's time to make something black for black people, and it it worked, right? I'm not saying that was Ryan Coogler's thought process, but for getting funded, that's a story that. I would have shared. I'd have been like, yo, the time's right to put millions behind this. So, like, if those to your point about, you know, certain stories being shown over and over again, how how do we create the space? And mind you, I guess social media is supposed to democratize that, right, where we can hear from more voices. But what is that? what does that reform really look like in terms of, as an audience, what are what does that look like getting those other people's voices lifted where we can hear those stories? Uh, it comes back to narrative, like, because mm-hmm. you gotta think about the civil rights movement. Like, it wasn't just for African Americans. Like, gay people benefited, women benefited, white women benefited, Asians benefited. Um, but often in history, it's just like black, 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 black. Martin Luther King, Rosa Parks. 
flag. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's giving those other minorities or people of color like a, a space and opportunity. So if you're gonna have like a Ryan Coogler, there's 17 other Hispanic or Dominican or Haitian or Jamaican directors, uh, producers, writers that have probably worked on that movie mm -hmm. or like have been involved with the big budget movie that mm -hmm. we just don't know. And it just takes that opportunity to be on CNN right, and for right. them to show how educated they are, mm -hmm. how eloquently they can speak. And it's just like, yo, I fuck with them. Yeah. Well, to that point about CNN, because you brought it up. So <laughs> with you, so in, in, in the forefront, I think about prime time, you see, you have, um, what's her name? Aaron Burnett, right? You have Don Lemon, mm -hmm. you have Chris Cuomo, mm -hmm. You have Anderson Cooper, right? That's the lineup. So you have two openly gay men. One's black, one's white. You have a, a woman. And then you have like the quintessential like straight white man, right? Um, and I, I imagine as just a consumer, but also a business person that there's some thought in that obviously around how you want to, um, the deliverer of the news, the information to be from various sources of what America tends to look like, right? That being said, what you see in the forefront, the faces, aren't, is not always what's happening in the back, right? So, like, in terms of the editorial selections of what gets ran, the newsrooms, who's making the graphics, that kind of stuff. Is CNN as diverse front-facing as it is in t inside, do you feel? And and from that vantage point, how do you feel like that helps or, or maybe hinders the organization in terms of orating the news for us to listen to every day? I'll firstly say that any media organization has an agenda and a motive and sure. goals mm -hmm. to keep. And, you know, I've been with the company for seven years and I've encountered many frustrations in terms of like trying to tell the stories that I think are important. Um, and it's not a lack of talent. It's not a lack of anything else, but lack of people who look like me who deem what I have to say or what I the story that I want to tell newsworthy right, right so right. um I will say that it's like a challenge and a struggle and I've encountered many like issues with stories that I want to tell but yet there's no like black editors to mm. kind of like edit Pitches, them to yeah. know what I'm pitching is important and why because there's like so much exposition like this is a thing because of this and if we could just have 16 less meetings about mm -hmm. why this is a thing and hurry up, let's write this and publish it because I know it will resonate. Right. Um, I think that would cut out like a lot of the, the kind of like roundabout circle that I'm, I'm sure not only CNN deals with, right? So, so a question. So, so Brooke Baldwin did a story um, she had recently on, there was these, I think like 32 physicians, I might be wrong with the number. There's a lot of physicians that had just graduated from I want to say it wasn't Tulane, but it was, it was a school out in it was either Xavier or Tulane, right? And they did this really powerful image. They're all wearing the white coats. They stand in front of like this old slave plantation that used to be used for weddings, but now it's like they stand in front of it. The picture goes viral, and she brings on the the folks that thought of the idea. He has this that conversation. When that happens, how likely is it that it's the the now the personality, but the journalists that made that happen or paved the way? And how often is that people behind the scenes that were like, no, this story is going to resonate, like how you say? And then it ends up being a daytime spot. Right. You know? Well, it's always a team. I mean, it's always checks and balances. Okay. Like, the people that you see on air, and on air, I will have to say, like, it's very different than digital. I work on the digital side, and there are different goals with both of the sides. So pretty much, like, on air has its own goals that it wants to reach, like, viewership and numbers, and everyone know that TV and broadcast, and now, like, 
the streaming experience that we have is very different from anything that you encounter online. Like obviously like the New York Times has like articles behind a paywall and that's a whole monetization of how you encounter news. Given the Washington Post, I was trying to like look, do some research today and I'm like, a dollar? I'm like, it's not a lot, but I'm like, the, the, the amount of buttons I got to press to put a dollar in for Washington Post, I'm like, yo, I just want the news, oh but I God, get it. A dollar took you out. A do- well, it, wasn't about, it wasn't about the dollar, but to your point about the button type of thing, it's like the user experience took me out. Alex Will talks about this actually a lot, right? Like that 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 pop up that's that you know hops in front of you and yeah. you're like, yo, what? That it had nothing you. to do with a dollar. It could have been five. I, I can afford it. The problem is that I don't want to press yeah. these buttons yeah. and type my email address in to read. Because what what this is what I'll do? I press backspace. I go back to the Google image, the Google results, and I go to the next article. You go right? to the free like, article, and it, and maybe it's written from like a less like journalistic Fair. point of view yeah. or whatever, but. We don't, and news that's the sad free. part. And that's you know? what we—that's, I mean, that's where we've gotten with our like news um, consumption. Is like, okay, it should be free, and then there's a whole other group of people that's like, oh, I'm paying for the premium. I mean, we saw it with the news with Kobe recently that just broke, like, getting your news from a reputable source, and like how many like like different stories spun before we actually knew what happened and you know the facts so i think admittedly i was out here sharing fake news yo you had me I did. my cousin i was there texting was like... people you know rick fox was gone you know sorry rick because i was one of them people like yeah. I, was, I was putting uh, in the group chat my cousin's man, like rick fox his and you know in my mind I'm like damn i met the dude at south by southwest we exchanged numbers you were I'm having like, a whole you know, emotional was, yeah to like... a guy that was like chilling in his living room scared like we were right, you know like right. Crazy, crazy, crazy. But yeah, yeah it's so, that, that fast. Yeah, I had to text all my homies. I was like, sorry. <laughs> like, I was like sorry. texting with my co- co-worker like as the news was breaking. I'm like, have we said anything yet? Basically, it's like, no. And she mentioned that she was actually happy that we do take our time to vet our sources mm-hmm. and like actually say, like play it safe versus like just spew out, you know, the first speculation that we hear. But back to your point about like whose idea or who's who's the motivation behind like some of the stories, the hard hitting like cultural mm-hmm. stories that do go out. I do think it's a team, and I do think that although like certain talent have their um, own careers to think in mind, like there are people on the forefront who do care about getting the facts out. Right, right. Um, from my perspective, when you have the platform and you are the talent you have more agency to like talk about the things that are important mm-hmm. to you. And the fact that they can do that and maybe talk about a community who doesn't look like them mm-hmm. is amazing. I don't have that agency like in terms of how they have it. So I have witnessed like a lot of frustration and encountered like a lot of just like, oh, but if I didn't have to do this one other project, maybe mm-hmm. I could work on this thing that I really love. And so that's where I think it comes in my art, you know, like so. Maybe I can't say everything the way I want to say it from like CNN or, you know, the editorial point of view. So I go and like depict art that really talks about like the issues that I'm concerned with. Mm-hmm. So I, I, gen- genuinely, I mean, it's like you guys are superheroes when it comes to black people, first and foremost, but just people that give a voice to stories that are often unheard. Right. And in what I love about how you guys approach life is that there's so much duality in your everyday lived existence, right? Like we could joke about a bunch of just really deep stuff that is for adults ears only. And then you could be like, yo, I just wrote like three children's books. And I'm like, what? Like when, like when did that even happen? Right? Like you, like when I look at your art, like I went to your gallery, the gallery you, uh, the, you hosted about a year ago, 
there's so much not even it's not pain it's like there's so much feeling in the faces of the the people you portray so like when i you know and actually i purchased a couple prints i got to get the real johnson hopefully you know, gotta get the money up but <laughs> thank you for your but, continued support <laughs> but nah but for real like i have them in my hallway as you come in the house because I, I put them there and I put them in gold frames because I wanted that to set the tone before you enter my home, right? Like, I want people to understand, like, this is a black home and there's power and resonance in that voice. So we have one image of a person who appear, appears to be African in some way because of the, what they're wearing, right? The jewelry. You have another person who is black. And I don't know where he's from. I don't know anything about his story, but when I look at his face, I feel my own, right? And so when people walk in my home, I'd hope that they feel that before they ever step in this place. And so, like, and for you, there's, there's so much... That, the, the characters are so bright in the in what you write about. And so when, when I, how do you guys think about, you know, that that piece of art, right? Your art, getting it out into the world. How do you determine this story? Because it's fiction, right? I'm sure there's some spliced experiences of your own in there, but how do you determine this story needs to be told? Like, what is that inspirational process for you? Um, <clears throat> for me, I think with my books, so like the children's books, it's like fun and games, right? Mm. But uh, the young adult books that I write, it's kind of like my view on the world, like right now. And that's why I love the way that I'm writing them is I consider them episodes. So instead of writing 60,000 to 75,000 word novels, mm -hmm. I break them up into 25, 30,000 uh, novellas, as they call them. And so you can consume it in an hour like you're watching a TV episode. And you can truly go from beginning, middle, and end. And like there's a problem, there's a resolution. And then sometimes there's a cliffhanger. Mm -hmm. So I, I look at like what's happening in the world, and then it's kind of like my way of saying it. Cause on social media, you for the persona that I've built, I can't talk about certain things. Like that's not what I do. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of like what Will Smith was saying. Like Will Smith doesn't mm -hmm. speak on certain things. So like Chris Coleman sure, on the yeah. internet, he don't speak on certain stuff. <laughs> but them characters, they can say whatever, I, whatever <laughs> I think. So I think it's kind of like looking at where the world is, and then putting my own spin on like. I see that problem. How can we like heighten this that it would make sense in a book for what these characters go through, and then hopefully like people like it. Got you, got you. And then for you, how do you how do you approach you know starting a new piece? How do I approach starting a new piece? Um, well, mainly I work in portraiture, so I'm always dealing with humans, the human face, you know the which is really the first thing that we come to recognize when we're like growing up and you know seeing for the first time and our toddlers so I deal with expression a lot in my work whether it's like mundane expression but I really try to work with the emotions behind the expression and a lot of that comes from like my own history with loss my own history and relationship to pain um, I try to communicate that through the canvas through the eyes especially um, knowing that by me communicating that and spending over 20 or 30 hours on a piece, someone else will be able to vibrationally pick that up and see that right. or like identify and connect with their own relationship with pain or the subject that they're looking at. Mm -hmm. and, and so communication, community, they have the same root, right? When you think about the community you guys are building around your work. So I, I it, to me, it's, I get what you're saying about the persona online versus then what you know what the characters do, but to me it's it's as understandable as it kind of is a little bit like not heartbreaking is a strong word, but it's like damn, like why can't you show the duplicity of that? 
but but I think it's again I think it's an audience thing. I think right. that your audience can take two or three messages from you max. Right. I get that Chris does X Y and Z and if you do L I'm like who the hell is this guy? Right? right? So like does can that change or is that is that how humans consume information? I like, think it's how the platforms are built. So it's like nuance, right? Like if you ever saw your favorite movie star mm-hmm. start rapping, you're like no no no. Why did I just think of Chris Brown? Stay there. In his rap career. Wait, I thought it Shaq. Chris Brown, Shaq, Kobe, rest in peace. Damian Lillard's hey, uh, a beast, though. He but, is, but you still, like, you're right. You still, still, I still he ain't going to win no Grammy. Yeah. But what about a crossover talent? Like, um, Donald Glover is rare. Thank He's you. rare. Yeah. He is rare. Is he rare? He is I think rare. it took a while for us to give him real respect, though, too. Right. Because it's almost like you feel like this person is just dabbling around in the arts. If you, you ever watch his early YouTube stuff. Oh, I did it. What was it called? It's bad, or are you saying it should go No, like, you'd be appalled. Because it's like, oh my God, that's like <laughs> Donald Glover. Like, this is America. Mm-hmm. Uh, I forgot what it's called. But it's like weird jokes. Yeah, weirdo. Dick mm-hmm. jokes. Like, it's like comedy, like college comedy. It, yeah. 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 Um, and then he wrote on like 30 Rock. But uh, even, community. even in that, I saw some like little seeds of like who he is at his core and his essence. I remember right. he did the one rape joke where he was saying like, he was on a date with some girl and like she was about to go home and she was like, oh, can you walk me to my car? And he had this aha moment. He was like, oh, guys are not worried about being raped, right? right? Mm-hmm. And he was like doing this little skit where he was like walking past people in the movie theater and like a dick accidentally goes inside. <laughs> I'm like, oh, oh shit, God. just got dick me. Just got dick me. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, That's I found funny. the humor in that because it's like, no, people don't think about that and it's like fucking spooky, right? Hey. <laughs> but I feel like that same like energy is like in Atlanta, right? Like mm. some spooky ass right. shit that you don't want to happen that can happen. No, nah, that's real. I mean, that's honestly, if I had to say anyone that I would want to be like, it's kind of like Donald Glover, right? Because, mm-hmm. like, I do social media as a career. Mm-hmm. I write books, and then, like, all the other stuff that I do, like the humor, the dancing, right. like the TikToks. Just that's bro, a this, whole. This is Chris's dance right here, y'all. It's just. <laughs> no, that was, that was 2015. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You made you moved it on. <laughs> the baby, yeah. But, like, I don't think people on the internet can take those things because it's nuanced. Like, if you haven't followed my Twitter, you wouldn't know the things I post. Right. So the moment you see something and you're just following me, you're just like, whoa, mm-hmm. this isn't that guy on Instagram that yada, yada, yada. Yeah. I think the platforms have built such a niche and, like, you can only work in that that nothing else works. And look at the reason why most of these people that do multiple things aren't on social media. Right, like, right. Glover, like, Salons, like, his Beyonce's, yeah. like, their creativity is, doesn't fit the platform because it's one or the other. Yeah. Very interesting. Very yeah. siloed. Yeah. Also, we do a lot of self-selecting, you know, in social media. Like, we gravitate toward groups who think like us, right? Right. right. Like, we rarely have conversations with people who have different point of views. Like, tame conversations that don't end up in, like, gaslighting or fights, right? Right. Um, where do you meet those people? I'd like Even in New York, it's very difficult to meet someone who has a different perspective because New York has become a city where we self-sort. 100%. Yeah, there are like so yeah. many like-minded people who live here that, you know, Peter Pan syndrome think the same way as you mm-hmm. do, never land, never going to leave, never going to grow up. Mm-hmm. Um, there are very many mature people here, but I just use that as an analogy to say like, nah, we like our thing. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, no, I, that, that's such a great point. Yeah. 
Cause like, but and I, I like that. But Reddit has this vibe of being like underground. Cause of vibes, right? Yeah. Well, fortune used to. Um, but like, I remember being in Austin, Texas, right? I was at South by, but there was like they. It, what's cool about Austin sometimes is that of course you need a lot of similarly like minded people, but they still open up regular establishments that'd be open during the day when it's not South by. So I'm at this bar, and next to me is like an old older white guy, maybe in his fifties, and next to him is like uh, a Hispanic guy, is probably like. 38, 39, and we start talking just about like, it's only, I, I come in there and I'm like, it's it's a free event. I forgot what company is sponsoring it. I didn't really care. I just knew that anything of it was available. So like the, the tallest thing in the corner, like pass me that. So he's like, God said, are you gonna drink that? Well, we gotta get one too. So they pour it up. It's been like sitting there for years. And um, it started a conversation. One guy's talking about like the army and experience there. And it, it just rolling, rolling. And then it got to talk about like black people, about like, uh, you know, whether they feel like we're like a little bit too uh, jumpy when it comes to certain topics and why that is or whatever. And, you know, it was such a great conversation that lasted for like two hours and it was so much nuance in it. And I, I really do believe when the thing about social media is you, you hide behind a screen, mm -hmm. right? You type things and you send it out into the world and a lot of it's hate, a lot of it's vitriol, a lot of it's love, whatever. But we like to your point, we self-select in that bar. I had to see this person, right? I had to see his mannerisms, his behavioral patterns. I had to gauge my safety, right? All those things are playing in real time. So what happens is the conversation is way more tame and actually way more nuanced and understanding. It's like, oh, you have a daughter. Like, oh, I could kind of understand that because my parents have daughters, my sisters, right? Like right. you start to like, there's way more empathy in person in that community part of it. And so like the extensions of your art really is, like you say, like kind of, it's evoking feelings that you have when you're putting it together, right? And so from that angle, I'm just, I'm very, very intrigued with just like how things will look going forward. Do you think, is, is Instagram forever? Is that, is that a thing? Like, will that be the... Forever in the same way that Facebook is forever, but it'll, it'll, it'll change, it'll die down, it'll, I think like some other thing will happen. Well, I press back a little bit, so because Facebook... They did a thing where they incorporated logging in through them, right? Like, so we use it for like, even our own site, who's your landlord.com, wyl.co. You have to log, you can log in through Facebook. Mm -hmm. They've made themselves like, Relevant. oh, we can, we can go away, but so would a lot of the ease of access you have and data transfer. Mm -hmm. So, like, from that vantage point, you know, um, can Instagram, I mean, Facebook bought them, right? Yeah. Like, you know what I'm saying? And I guess nothing's forever, but when you integrate yourself into the lives of others, you know, how, I'm 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 concerned and I'm interested and intrigued at the same time. Didn't I don't think we like, have yeah. enough stamina for it to continue on the way it is. It's sure. exhausting us. I feel like. I think it'll just become normalized. Like Facebook is a very smart company, mm -hmm. um, and I think it'll be kind of like Amazon. You cannot go through life without using some sort of Amazon product, whether you're a tech company and you use their web servers, whether you're. Um, a homeowner and you need groceries delivered, you need your floor mopped, I think Instagram will become a part of our daily lives as it has already. Just like Twitter is just like part of our daily lives. You get your news on there. You can watch live events now. Um, I think TikTok will find its role. And each platform that comes is like, can I compete with these? Okay, no. Let me make a smaller niche. Like a Tumblr or like a, a Reddit or like a 4chan even um, media. No man, love 4chan, but you gotta acknowledge you it. Got, yeah, that's a huge yeah, site. Yeah, even yeah. Worldstar, like, 
it has its it's has its. I mean, I got texted world star from my brother earlier today. Right. Like it, still, it was a fight broke out on the corner. He was like, oh, world star. It like, has its place. <laughs> it has its place. Blavity. All these companies will have its place, whether we go to them and it's as big as it is now. It plays a role mm-hmm. in the culture. I mean, the shade room. So I agree with that, you. Right? Yeah. I I think that our consumption will change. I think our relationship with it will change because I, I remember yeah. like. Mama ain't gonna tell her age, but there was a time in my life where I we were going out to the clubs and partying, and it was a big thing to go home and edit our point and shoot digital camera photos and upload them to Facebook to a Facebook yeah. album, that, to album of the night before. Okay, okay, yeah. And like, you know, like today it would just be like a video of you out during the thing, right? Yeah. But you had to select which photos you picked. The friends all had to okay it. Mm-hmm. No one's eyes could be closed. No one could look too drunk. And you made a whole album. And then you released it to the world. And then you let whatever happened happen. But yo, but all right. So, but I love that point because like it, it just shapes our behavior so much. Like like Facebook when it came out, you go on a trip, you'd upload 180 photos, and people <laughs> would legit just click through. I'm like, oh, this this is pretty cool. The most mundane photo, the photos of you looking a little sloppy on the beach, the photos of you looking great on the beach. And then, like, Instagram came out, and it was like, nah, you got one photo to prove. Right. This was amazing. Show and tell. And if you can't do it, next, I'm going to swipe up. I'm sliding up. Then Instagram was like, all right, we'll give you a little bit of both. We'll do a carousel. because slide over 10 times. Right. So you give you a little bit more breath, right? But then we, we lose, use it in different ways. You could tell stories now because the first frame is one thing and swipe all the way to the end of the story. So it's so interesting at how, like, and, and I think it's shifted things, right? Back when it was just Facebook, and I mean, you could go, of course, way before that. But back when it was Facebook, you might ask me, like, let's say we went on a beach trip to Jamaica, right? Take a couple shots. You're like, all right, one of them is going to be good. Doesn't matter. Just upload it on Facebook. The one you like, you put as your profile pic, right? The rest <laughs> would just be in the in the album. The way it works with Instagram now, because you got one shot. One shot. I'm going to take, take 30 to 40 photos of the same pose you did. Give them to you. I'm going to keep... You could? Yeah, that's nah, good. Nah, the eyes? Okay. All right, no problem. I got better. you. Right? And and out of all my hard work as a normal human being, I'm not a photographer, so a normal human being, all my hard work, one photo comes out. Right? And I might not get tagged in it. Now I'm mad. It's just like, damn. But I'm going to tell you what this going to evolve into. It's what MySpace could have been, but time was just like, I'm good. So if you look at MySpace, it, at the time, was the biggest music platform for independent artists. Mm-hmm. Cassie, Tila Tequila. All these people, Timothy Delegato, like ghetto, all these people that are now like stars or were stars came from MySpace. Mm -hmm. And the one thing that I think everyone loved was like that song that represented you. Instagram now is an e-commerce platform. Yeah. Whether we mm-hmm. like Absolutely. it or not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like I think that's will be its role in it and that's why Instagram will If you're selling like, stuff, you've got to be on Instagram. But it's yeah. also the first place that you now look to buy something. It's like, true actually. My mom calls me is just like hey like i just got this thing off instagram like my mom she's almost 60 years old wild. she buys all her running stuff those all instagram things she apps instagram. are legit i they got some serious. boots from instagram they got paid for one it's an e-commerce platform and That's then i crazy. think what whatsapp will be utilized for something that like we don't even foresee so like I truly believe these things will evolve. Well, they're trying to claw it back from Facebook because I'm sure they didn't see yeah, it either. Yeah. I mean, well, he got his bread. He out. Yeah. Um, but I think as these things evolve, it's like the button won't change. It's just how we're using it and how they're going to make us force our behavior. So then my question is, like, 
if your platform changes for where you show your art or where you show your authenticity, where do you where do you show it? I mean, your own website, but nobody wants to go to your website no more. Like no one wants to leave these platforms to go to your amazing website. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, um, you're losing space on your home screen for new apps. We download apps like we download music. Like, <laughs> Zero times a month exactly. on average. You stream so everything. it's just like, I see a dope ad on Instagram for an app. I download it, play it for five minutes, delete it. I listen to new music, send it to a friend. All right, I'm on that next Roddy Rich song. I see a great artist. I put it in my favorites on IG. If I see him again, dope. If I don't, it's 20 other people on my Explore page. I really think it's going to be like, yo... As an artist, I think we're going to have to try to figure out a way to make money and a way to make the most noise. Unfortunately, talent is no longer the requirement. It's yeah. fame. Like, who's the most famous? Yeah. Who can sell the most? You going to set yourself on fire to show your print? I'll follow you. Mm-hmm. Then you can make an album. You can release your own video game. You can be in a Drake song. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I mean, Shaggy did a dance and this man out here winning. Hey, the, the, it's things have changed a lot. I mean, but to like to kind of put a bow on the, everything. How can people connect with you guys? What are some new products you guys are working on? Let me actually reverse that. What are some new products you guys are working on? And then how can people connect hey. with you? Something I'm really excited about is a commission piece that uh, came out of the result of uh, a person visiting one of my art shows. A lot of my art deals with loss, as I said before, and they really liked the way that I depicted some of the characters, and they wanted their late father on a jean jacket. So that's what I'm working on now. Um, I spend a lot of time in my studio, and I record, you know, process videos of me creating things and testing things out. You can find that on my IG page at HiccupBK, H-I-C-C-U-P-B-K. Okay. Now Tiff has a really dope story, so I encourage you to check it out. I, I got to meet some of your family members and everything when you had that opening at that gallery. So um, yeah, check her out online, Chris. Uh, for me, you can find me on it's Chris Coleman on everything. Um, you can buy the merch. Guys glow. Guys glow. It's coming out soon. Whenever I feel good about it, <laughs> he's a creative. Um, yeah, you know, he feel good. I'm waiting. Yeah. On sample, sample. I'm waiting. If the if the groundhog see a shadow, that means spring coming soon, and you can get that guy. You gonna be big, um, or you can get my books. Um, just go on Amazon, type in Chris Coleman, and you'll see me. That's what it is for Chris, for Tiffany. It's Ofo. Thank you for joining another episode of the WYL Take Ownership Podcast, where we take ownership of our mental, our economics, and our community. Peace. Peace. (laughs) You know it too well, man. (laughs)